Thank you, choir. I've always found the history or etymology of words to be interesting. Where did a certain word come from? How did it come about? One word that intrigues me somewhat is the word jackleg. Now, I don't know why, but it just does. I, I, I know what it means. As a matter of fact, I've been called that before. But where did that word come from? And I don't know the answer to that question. It's just a curiosity that I have. Linda and I were in England. While we were there, we went to Stratford-on-Avon, and uh, we toured Shakespeare's house, the house where he was born, and then his wife's house where she grew up. The tour guide who was showing us around had a lot of interesting trivia. And uh, he said that during their time, back before there was television and YouTube and all the things that we have today, that people spent more time outdoors. And they would be on the streets, and so they would come to another person's house, and they would stand there by the eaves because the conversation that was going on in the house would travel down the eaves and they could stand outside and know what the people inside were saying. And so there came eavesdropping. They also uh, did not have mattresses and springs like we do on our beds. Instead, there was a series of ropes on which they slept. And occasionally those, those ropes would begin to sag a little bit and they would tighten those ropes up and so sleep tight. I forgot what they said about don't let the bed bugs bite, but that's where the sleep tight came from. Well, we're going to look at another word today that's of interest, and that is the word deadline. The word deadline originally was a prison term. There would be a line that was drawn within or without the prison, and if the inmate crossed that line, then they could be shot, thus a deadline. Now, that word, of course, has evolved, and we use it today. For instance, in media, there is a deadline for a news story. And, and if the story is not complete by such and such time, the deadline, then it is not going to air. As parents, we give deadlines to our children. You are supposed to be in at 11 o'clock. That is your deadline. And if you're not in by 11 o'clock, then I'm going to shoot you. But... I'm just sort of teasing a little bit about that, but there are deadlines, and, and there are deadlines in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 3, the Bible says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Now, now I want you to consider that. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. God says there's a deadline. There comes a time when my spirit will no longer strive with you. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, folks, it is my belief, according to Scripture, that there can come a time when God says that I am no longer going to deal with you. I am no longer going to reach out to you. You have crossed the deadline, and now you cannot be saved. I believe that. I believe there can come a time in a person's life when they cross God's deadline, and God says, my spirit will not strive with you any longer. 
and you'll never be saved. It was years ago, obviously, a revival was being held at Princeton University. Aaron Burr had attended the meeting, had heard the gospel, and was convicted of his need for Christ. So he went to the president of the university and said to him that he wanted to commit his life to Christ. And the president said, if I were you, I would wait until the excitement of the revival has subsided, and then I would think it over carefully. Burr said, that is exactly what I will do, and he never considered a commitment to Christ again. Folks, I believe that there can be a time in a person's life when God says you have crossed the deadline. I believe that there can be a person in a, uh, there, a time in a person's life when God says, my spirit will not strive with you again. Take your Bibles and look with me at Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 1. Only one verse. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. There are four considerations for you in this verse of Scripture. First of all, he says, a man who hardens his neck. Now, the picture that is being painted here is that of a farmer who is trying to put a yoke on a beast's neck. He is going to do some work. He is going to do some plowing. He is going to do something. But the beast resists the yoke. He hardens his neck. He stiffens his neck to the farmer. Now, the application for us is that there comes a time in our life when we harden our neck towards God, we stiffen our neck towards God, that God is dealing with us about something. Maybe it's to come to Christ as Savior. Or perhaps as a Christian, God is dealing in your life about something. But we resist, we harden, we stiffen our neck against God. Sometimes that is through open defiance that we simply are not going to respond to God. I am not going to repent. I am not going to do what God wants me to do. And so there's simply open defiance against God. Henry Thoreau was on his deathbed. His Christian aunt said to him, Henry, have you made peace with God? To which he replied, I didn't know we had ever quarreled. You see, folks, sometimes we have this spirit of defiance, this open defiance against God, and we say, I'm going to continue in my sin. I am not going to respond to God. And the problem with that is if there is no repentance, then there is no forgiveness. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What Jesus is simply saying there is that if there is no repentance, and the word repent means a change of mind that produces a change of direction, that I am going in one way and I turn to go in an opposite direction. If there is no repentance, then Jesus says, then there is no forgiveness. If we are unwilling to, to deal with God, if we are unwilling to, con uh, to confess our sin to Him and repent of our sin, the Bible says, then there's no forgiveness. 
Sometimes our defiance comes through procrastination. You know the story about the plagues in Egypt and there was the frog plague. And so Pharaoh said to Moses, if you, if you will, if you will uh, remove these frogs, he says, then I will let your people go. And Moses asked the question, when? And he said, tomorrow. Just give me one more night with the frogs. Doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? R.G. Lee said, tomorrow is a time found nowhere except on a fool's calendar. Folks, the Spirit of God deals with our heart. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin. And yet we stiffen our necks against God, do not respond, thinking, I'll do it later. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it when there is a better time. Let me give you three reasons not to procrastinate. First of all, because you lose the joy of being right with God today. The Scripture says in John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Did you know that's what Jesus wants to give to you? Did you know that? He said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you understand that, that whenever you procrastinate that you miss the joy of today? You miss the joy of Christian friends. I love Christian people. Now, some of them are peculiar and strange, and you know that, and I know that, and you're more comfortable with some than you are with others. But I love Christian people. I, I love these deacons. I tease them a lot, but I love these guys. It is such a joy for me to, to be in deacons meeting with them because they're godly men. The Lord has blessed me with Christian friends I wouldn't take anything in the world for. Charles Jackson, the pastor over at Brooklyn Baptist, I, he's just a dear friend. John Keller, the pastor down at First Baptist Hilton Head, dear friend of mine. Folks, whenever you're not walking with Christ, then you miss that joy. And sometimes we, we, we choose other friends while we neglect our Christian friends. I wouldn't trade my Christian friends for anybody. You lose the joy of today, the friendships, the significance of prayer. There's so many of you say, I'm praying for you. I receive letters and calls every week. I'm praying for you. That means more to me than you realize that it does. There's the, the joy of salvation. The Lord wants to give you joy. In the first church that I pastored, there was a man that, that I witnessed to... Um, he was an older man, but I used to talk to him about the Lord, and then he was in the hospital, and, and I went to see him, and I shared with him about Jesus and talked to him about giving his heart to the Lord, and, and uh, he did not. It was later in the week I went back to see him again, and when I went in, I knew there's something different. He had a smile on his face. He was lying there in the bed, smile on his face, and he said, Pastor... He said, yesterday I gave my heart to Jesus. And he said, and when I get out of here, I'm going to walk down that aisle at the church and I'm going to be baptized. He was in his 70s and I rejoiced. I can still see him walking down the aisle on that Sunday because he came the first Sunday. He got out of the hospital. He walked down the aisle. I took him by the hand. I can still see him in my mind. And I thought, Lord, thank you for saving him. But at the same time, I thought, oh, how much of his life did he waste? 
He wasted so much of his life that the Lord could have blessed. You lose today's joy by procrastination, and something worse will come. In verse 1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof. If we don't respond to God, then there is going to be more reproof. After the frogs, there were lice and flies and locusts and boils and darkness and then death. Folks, here's the thing about the grace of God. If you don't respond to the frogs, then he's going to send something else. If you don't respond to whatever it is that God is using in your life today to try to bring conviction to you that you might be right with him, then he will send something else. And another reason not to procrastinate is that tomorrow may not come. The Scripture says in James 4.14, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We stiffen our necks against God sometimes because of pride. In my devotional time this morning, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. And it said, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. I wonder how many people will die and go to hell without Jesus because of pride. I wonder how many Christians will live defeated lives because of pride. I'm not going to respond. My friends will think I'm weird. I'm not going to respond to Jesus because I don't want to be embarrassed walking down that aisle. And folks, pride keeps us from Christ. Pride keeps us from the blessings of Christ. Pleasure. Second Timothy 3 forces they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. My friend, there are some who have believed the lie of Satan, believing that pleasure is outside God. And yet the Bible tells us and experience testifies that we are only asked to give up those things that are harmful. You see, the Scripture says in Psalm 84:11, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is not holding out something good from you. See, that's what he said to Adam and Eve when they were in the Garden of Eden. They had everything in the world except that one tree. Everything. But Satan convinced them that God was withholding something good from them when he was only trying to keep them from something bad. What we get is better than what we give up when we come to Christ and walk in Christ. It's trading dirt for diamonds. Think about it. When I come to Christ and I live my life for Him, what do I get? Well, I get rid of my unrighteousness and receive His righteousness. The Bible says that, that the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to me. It's placed in my account. And now then I am righteous. I was unrighteous. Now then I'm unrighteous. I'm righteous. That's, I, I give that up. What else? Well, the guilt that I have for forgiveness. I know there are some of you today who are suffering from guilt because of unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life. And God wants to forgive you. And He will, he will remove your guilt and give you forgiveness. What else? Well, let's see. 
without the Lord, I'm on the way to hell. And with the Lord, I'm on the way to heaven. So the Bible says then that everything we give up is something that is harmful. And God wants to give you something better. And then whatever we give up does not compare to what He gave up for you. We sang a while ago in these verses in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul wrote, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Whatever you give up does not compare to what he gave up for you, because he gave up everything. So it says there in verse 1, a man who hardens his neck, he stiffens his neck against God. After much reproof. You see... The Lord in His mercy again and again and again brings reproof to us so that we might be right with Him. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, was a religious person when he was persecuting the church. And he believed that he was within the will of God by persecuting the church, the Christians. And then he was convicted of his sin and trusted Christ How did that come about? Through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says to Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. See how his life was changed? The Holy Spirit changed him. Look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good person. He was a teacher of religion. A good person. But the Holy Spirit brought conviction of sin to his life, and that was the reason that he came to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction of sin. I have seen in churches where I have pastored deacons, men respected by the church, come to the place where they said that I'm not a Christian. And I've seen them trust Christ as Savior. I have even seen staff members serving on the staff, come to the place that they were convicted of sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior. The reproof that God sends, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Friend, listen to me. Today, it is my prayer, and I have been praying, and I know that others have as well, but it is my prayer that today the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction in your own life. That if you're here without Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. But that's what the Spirit does. And then God uses people. This choir blesses me every week. And my heart is touched as I hear them sing. God uses music. He uses preaching. Billy Graham tells a story about being at a revival meeting where Mordecai Ham was the preacher. And he was convicted of sin as he heard the Word of God and committed his life to Jesus. People witness to us. They talk to us about our spiritual condition. Maybe it's a friend, someone at school. Perhaps it's a mother or a father or somebody, but they speak to us about our spiritual condition and God uses them. 
Sometimes it is circumstances that brings the reproof to our life. Maybe it is the death of someone, and, and we think of someone, a loved one, who has died. And all of a sudden we understand how, how fragile life is and, and the fact that we too are going to die. Sometimes it is sickness that God uses in our life because all of a sudden we become still and quiet and, and then God is able to speak to us. And that brings conviction. You know what brings conviction to me more than anything else? It is not when the Holy Spirit says, Wendell, you're a real dud. I know that. But you know what brings conviction to my heart more than anything else? The Bible says in Romans 2.4, The kindness of God leads you to repentance. More than anything else that touches my heart, the kindness of God. The Lord has been so kind to me. He has been so generous to me. He has been so good to me. And when I begin to think about how good God is and how good He has been to me, that more than anything else brings conviction of sin to my heart. How can I not live to please God who has been so kind to me? A man who hardens his neck. After much reproof, will suddenly be broken. You see, rejection of God does not come without consequence. And suddenly broken speaks of destruction. Matthew Henry wrote, Those that go on in sin, in spite of admonition, shall be destroyed. Those that will not be reformed must expect to be ruined. If the rods answer not the end, expect the axes. I hope for uh, uh, just a minute or so that you will consider the totality of destruction when we live our lives apart from God. First of all, it destroys the mind through delusion. Sin destroys the mind through delusion. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, here's what happens with the mind. The truth is presented to you. And then you reject the truth. And when you reject the truth, then you are deluded by a lie. That's what it says in Romans chapter 1. It talks about man's spiral into sin, and the Bible says that God gives him over to a reprobate mind. So according to what Paul said, he says that God sends delusion. Why? So that you will believe a lie. Why? So that you might be condemned. Why? Because you chose pleasure and wickedness. That's what he says. Folks, when we reject God, the Bible says that our minds are destroyed by delusion. 
And now then we, we don't see things correctly because we have been deluded. There's a destruction of the Spirit. Whenever we reject God, we resist God, then there's the destruction of the Spirit. It says in Romans 1, 24, 26, 28, God gave them up. Joe Henry Hawkins was a preacher in Arkansas, and he said that one night he was preaching, and there was a young man up in the balcony. And he said, I could tell that he was struggling. And uh, he did not come forward during the invitation, and the pastor spoke to him later and asked him why. And he said, when I closed the hymn book and did not come, something died within me. I, I believe that. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I believe that, folks. I believe that when we reject God after much reproof, there's again and again and again and again and again. God deals with our heart. Finally, there comes a time that our minds are deluded and our spirits are destroyed. There's also the destruction of the body. Paul deals with that concerning the Hebrews when he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 8, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. He's speaking of immorality here. As some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That probably is a reference to the plague of Numbers 25. And then he follows that with the next verse, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. And then he follows that in the next verse, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Suddenly broken. Destruction. Minds, spirit, body. Rebellion against God does not come without consequence. Please understand that. That when we choose to live our lives in rebellion to God, there are consequences. Perhaps not today, but there are consequences. Finally, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. That's the deadline. No more opportunity. That's the deadline. Ladies and gentlemen, we make a decision in this life as God gives us opportunity. And we can receive the Lord and respond to Him and walk with Him if we choose. Or we can reject Him as did the rich young ruler who walked away sorrowfully but nevertheless walked away. But understand that our decision in this life determines our destiny in eternity. You make decisions. And there are consequences to decisions. There is the story about Lazarus and the rich man. And, and the rich man died without the Lord and went to hell. And Lazarus died with the Lord and he went to heaven. You know the story. Could not be changed. The decision made in life determined the destiny in eternity. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. That literally, and there is no remedy. There is no remedy. Would you bow your heads with me, please?
What is your condition before God today? Not what do your friends think? Not what do your parents think? Not what does your spouse think? What is your position before God? Is the Holy Spirit in His grace and mercy bringing conviction of sin to your life? Of need to your life? Today, would you respond to Him? Lord, today I humble myself. And I know that I know that it has to be humble. I humble myself before you. Pride. I'm not going to do anything. I don't. I don't want to walk down that aisle. I don't want to talk with anyone, pray with anyone. Pride. What is it? Today, would you simply say, "I commit my life to Jesus Christ." If you're a child of God and you're away from Him, today would you allow Him to forgive you and to restore you to the fellowship that you lost? Would you do that today? As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, before I pray, I'm going to ask you, I really want that. I really want to be right with God. Would you pray for me? I'll not embarrass you. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? No one looking around. Pray for me. I really want to be right with God. Many hands. Any others? Pray for me. Now I'll ask you to ask God, how do you want me to respond to this? What do I need to do to be right with you? Is it to go front to the front and pray with someone, shake hands to confess something? Is it that? Stay here where I am. But what does God say for you to do? Because that's what you should do. Our Father and God, as we come to you during this invitation time, Lord, I especially pray for those who lifted hands and asked for prayer. Father, you know what the need is. And I pray that you'll meet their need today. Lord, I know that there are others who couldn't even lift their hand, though their heart's breaking. Though they want desperately to be right with you, and they couldn't take that step. Father, I pray that today that you might extend to them your grace through much reproof. They'd be right with you. Lord, I just pray that during this time of invitation, you will be glorified that people might leave here right with you and in the joy of Jesus in whose name I pray. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask that you stand with me quietly and reverently. The choir is going to sing. The staff is going to be here at the front. Would you come today, whatever it is that God tells you to do, if He has told you to come forward, then you come forward. If He has not, then you don't. Do what He tells you to. As the choir sings, you come, I'll pray with you.